Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So Anne, do you remember when I reached out to you after an RPWF meeting and said, oh my gosh, we just had the most interesting speaker today. I want to reach out and see if she wants to be on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That was just such a great presentation, Kat. So I'm going to do a slightly more formal introduction and say today we are joined by Kat Williford, who is a fashion designer and founder of Pamut Apparel. It's a Raleigh, North Carolina-based sustainable fashion brand. And as you just heard me say, I first heard of Pamut when Kat was a speaker at a Raleigh Professional Women's Forum meeting. During that meeting, three different people messaged me to say, you should have her on your podcast, which I'd already been thinking the same thing, but that just really validated that, oh my gosh, yeah, we really do need to have her on. So we're super excited you're here. And She was super engaging, but what really struck me in hearing her speak was how deeply she has brought both passion and purpose to her work. And it's not just the sustainability aspect that sets Kat and Pamut apart from most fashion brands. It's also that she believes that all bodies are beautiful, and she really lives that belief. Part of Pamut's mission is to provide clothing for every body, size, and shape. And not only is her clothing collection available in sizes 0 to 30, but custom sizing is also available at no extra charge. What was so amazing to me about that is I am somebody who has most things altered slightly by my tailor, and they're slight alterations. The fact that this is a service she offers at no extra charge really does mean that they are offering very inclusive sizing. It's such a beautiful example of walking your talk. So again, we're so excited that you're joining us today, Kat, and I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us a bit about your journey. Thank you, Sherry and Anne. I'm so happy to be on this podcast with you guys. It's such a pleasure to talk about my journey and just chat with you guys about entrepreneurship and all of that stuff. So yeah, thank you for having me. As you said, my name is Kat Williford. I am the owner and CEO of Pamut Apparel. And I am so happy to be able to do what I love, to be able to be creative every day, to work with wonderful people and to have great employees. I'll get into how I started Pamut and kind of how I got to the point of that and where we are now. Basically, I started sewing when I was young. My mom was always into sewing and her grandma and her great grandma. And, you know, so it's really in my family, all of the sewing and the making and the creativity. So she taught me how to sew quilts when I was in maybe third grade. And I kind of dabbled in making a few little things when I was a kid, but just the familiarity with sewing machines is really helpful later on. But I ended up going to the Savannah College of Art and Design when I was looking for colleges. It was a great option. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to major in at the time. They have so many options. I think they have something like 30 or 40 majors. But after spending a couple of semesters there, I really just fell into fashion design because it felt really comfortable. And I loved the fact that I could be really creative, but I could do a lot of different things. I could do the pattern making. I could do the sewing. I could do the sketching. And I could work with production facilities. And just the idea of being able to do that, it all seemed like the perfect combination for me. So that was what I ended up majoring in. 
And it was right as the 2008 financial crisis was happening. And I felt like I really needed to choose a safe option for my first job. So a lot of my friends were just going to New York and taking internships that might not have paid anything and maybe getting into more creative jobs. But I really felt like at that time I needed a safe option. So I ended up taking a job with a mall brand in Ohio. And I was there for two years and it was a great experience, but it kind of became evident right away that it wasn't going to be what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It wasn't my passion and it wasn't as creative or hands-on as I was hoping it would be or kind of expecting a fashion job to be. So I really went through a bit of a crisis at the time, really not knowing what I was going to do next because I had spent all of this time studying fashion and thinking that this is going to be just a great fit for me right off the bat. And it wasn't. So I was um, at this job for two years and then I ended up quitting and I actually moved to Europe. I had had a few friends who lived in Hungary that I had met at the summer camp during college. And I just thought it would be a great opportunity to go over there. And I started thinking that I'd only be over there for a couple of months, just trying to figure out what my next thing was. And I ended up staying there for three years. It strikes me that, you know, as you were nearing graduation and your other friends were kind of taking maybe unpaid internships and and maybe a little bit looser with what their next plans were, you were pretty firm. Like I want kind of a, you didn't use these words, but I'll use kind of real job. And yet what I just heard you say is like, after two years, I just sort of realized I just need to take off, right? Help us understand your thinking there a little bit, because it seems so different from when you were graduating from college. It was for sure. I mean, you know, I, I always felt so lucky that my parents were so supportive of a creative career. But I think with that came a little bit of pressure of, well, you know, you can go to this art school and you can have this creative career, but you need to have a steady job. And I definitely understood that at the time. And I could appreciate that. And, you know, they paid for my college. And I really felt like my duty to myself and to my family was to have a steady career. And, you know, I was at the age where I don't think I could have really started a business on my own right out of college. So it was a good experience for me. But I think honestly, going into that job, I knew that it wasn't going to be a good fit, but I felt that pressure to conform and be safe Like I said, I knew that I wasn't quite ready yet for an entrepreneurial journey. So it was good for a short while, but it also made me very restless. And it just pushed me into this realization that this was just not going to work however much I wanted to make it work or however much I thought it would be nice and safe. And safety is comfortable and nice. And then I just got bored and I couldn't handle it anymore. And I just had to leave. Yeah, it changed a lot even in college. And my job in between college. And when I started this job, I just worked at the summer camp, just was also transformational in all of the people that I met because all of them were European and it just really opened up the world to me. So even before I started this job at the mall brand, I kind of knew like, even though I want this to be (laughs) great, it's not going to be what I was hoping it would be for me. Well, and I'm curious, you said you couldn't be as creative as you wanted. And I'm wondering, were there other things that you learned about yourself in that Mall Brown job? Yes, for sure. When I was a kid, I was kind of a dorky kid and I had a lot of trouble connecting to people. And I think I was just being creative and a lot of other people were not focused on creativity in middle school and high school. They're focused on fitting in. 
so working at this mall brand, I thought, oh, great, I'll finally fit in. This will be the perfect opportunity for me to be the cool kid, just living out my high school dreams. And I also realized that that wasn't me and that that was okay. That was another big realization I had that I could just be my individual creative self and I didn't really need to fit in. What a huge gift. I mean, it doesn't sound like it was like the best experience, but what an amazing gift to be like, oh no, I get to be me. Like, that's really cool. So then you find yourself quitting your job and thinking you're going to go to Hungary for a couple of months, but I suspect it was longer than that by the way that you led into that. So what came next for you? Yeah. So I, I was in Hungary. I was actually dating a Hungarian guy and that was ended up being a lot of the reason that I wanted to go there. But I was there and I was just looking for maybe a way to stay for six months uh, because usually your tourist visa only lasts for three months. So I found out that you could get a self-employment visa and you could stay on that. And I figured that that would be a great option to stay. And so I applied for the self-employment visa. And after going to the Hungarian visa office where no one spoke English for about two weeks straight, I finally got the visa and, you know, it was for a clothing company. That was what I knew how to do. And I figured I would just start selling homemade t-shirts that were made from organic cotton. And I could screen print them because there was a screen printing studio in downtown. So it was just convenient that I could do, I could start doing that. And yeah, that's how Pamut began. That's awesome. Well, I'm really curious. You talked early on about doing the safe thing, right? And you felt a lot of duty to be responsible and to choose the safe option. And now here you are in a country where you don't speak the language and clearly not the safe, predictable, practical option. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about whether that was coming from a shift into your more authentic self or if there was something else that really helped you navigate such a radically different kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Well, I am not very into star signs, but I'm a Gemini. So (laughs) I think that might've played a little bit of a role. I definitely have two sides to me. I have the side that wants to be safe and traditional. And then I have the side that just wants to be a crazy creative out there doing different stuff. I definitely always had that part of me inside. And I just don't think I was confident enough or ready yet to be out there when I had just graduated from college. And it took a little bit of growing into myself. You know, when I went to Hungary, I was not quite there yet. It was really scary. And obviously starting any business is scary. And then living in a foreign country where people don't speak English is also scary. And I just decided that I needed to embrace it and I needed to just get out of my comfort zone and be okay with failing. I didn't really know that many people. And if I made a fool of myself, it wasn't the worst thing ever because I was just around a ton of people in a different country. And obviously I had friends and I met a ton of people, but it was all from being outside of my comfort zone. So I had to learn Hungarian and just walk into a coffee shop, try and order something with my bad language skills. And, you know, it was definitely a experience of growing and just becoming more comfortable in that uncomfortable area. Yeah. I love that. I mean, again, just an amazing gift to push yourself outside your comfort zone and what was born out of that exact thing, right? And so you started this company, by the way, what does Pamut mean? It means cotton in Hungarian. So we started with just cotton t-shirts. That was the first thing we made, which we still make today. 
Awesome. And then what next? You started this little screen printing t-shirt business, but now it seems to have grown into something quite a bit larger than that. So tell us a little bit about that next leap, that next journey of coming back to the States and what happened next. Yeah. So I was in Hungary for a total of three years, being about maybe two years of that. And by the end of year three, I had broken up with my Hungarian boyfriend and I figured that it would be a good time to move back to the States. And I'm from Raleigh. So that was kind of the first place I thought of. Raleigh's grown a lot in the last 10 years. And though it was pretty small when I grew up here, it seemed like there was a lot more going on, a lot more creativity and a lot of cool stuff happening. So I moved back to Raleigh and I started trying to do the same thing that I had done in Hungary, which was screen printed tourist t-shirts. And that it became evident that that was not going to work pretty quickly. So I re-looked at what was trending here in terms of slow fashion. And it seemed like there was a lot of need for inclusive sizing. So sorry, I don't know what that term slow fashion, what that means. Slow fashion just means clothes that are made to be worn for a long time and that are made slowly. So it's just the opposite of fast fashion. So it's small production quantity, you know, like only two or three people making the clothes and then, you know, long lasting clothes, basically. And I want to jump in with a question as well, because you've come back, you're clearly very interested in sustainability as part of your fashion design, your fashion production. And I'm really curious, where did your interest in sustainability come from? That's a great question. And I actually forgot to mention this earlier, but I had interned at a company called Raleigh Denim when I was in college. I have some of their jeans. Me too. We love Raleigh Denim. (laughs) Yeah. So they're a married couple, Sarah and Victor, and they let me intern for them back when they were just starting out. And they were definitely one of the first sustainable USA made companies over the entire United States, but they were in Raleigh. And I got to see them. They actually were making their clothes. They were in the production house and they were cutting and sewing everything and they were designing everything and they were so hands-on. And I could see that that was what they did all day. And it just seemed so cool that they had this production facility in Raleigh. So that was always in the back of my head as far as sustainable fashion went. So throughout the whole time, I kind of had that idea in my head of being able to make things in a small studio to order, basically. So where you were going, I think, when I brought up the sustainability piece was around how you were then led to this piece around inclusive sizing. Yeah, so the sustainable thing was already in my head. And when the tourist t-shirts, when it became evident that that wasn't really working out how I had hoped or how I thought it might, I was re-looking at everything. and, And I realized that there was just this huge gap in the market for high quality clothing for plus size people or for people who just had like really different proportions. So a small waist and bigger hips or relatively same ratio of waist to hip. There was just very little out there for people like that. And, you know, people were going to tailors or shopping at Lane Bryant or Target. And those were really the only options. And that didn't seem great. It just, you know, like it seems really unfair to me that Currently, the average size in America is something like a size 16. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember exactly what size it is, but it's not a standard size that you would find in most stores, which is insane. So yeah, I mean, it was just a big opportunity, I think, 
for us. And it felt like the ethical choice. And I definitely think of Pamut as an ethical company. And what does that mean to you that it's an ethical company? Well, I, I would say probably just trying to prioritize the people that we're working with and the people that we're selling to and thinking of paying people fairly for their work of working with fabrics that are low impact that don't have a bad impact on the environment. So no plastics, no synthetic fibers, and then also trying to be a supportive company for our customers and making things that our customers really love and can appreciate and that anyone can buy and wear. A lot of companies would consider themselves to be really, really ethical, but if you dig below the surface, there's lots of choices of convenience, choices of practicality, reasons why, yeah, well, we can't do all of these things. When I look at your website and when I had the great fun of coming and visiting your studio on Saturday, I was just blown away by some of the things you shared about how little waste you generate and how you make decisions on which fabrics and which colors to use. And so I would just love to hear you talk a little bit more about the challenges or the complexity of really living these values of being an ethical company. Sure. And, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing out there. There's a lot of use of the word sustainability, which at this point I try and avoid because it's so overused. And now I use the word ethical more often because it just seems a little bit clearer to me than the word sustainability. Yeah. I mean, we really try and live that out every day in the way that we produce our garments and the way that we source and in the way that even we package things and work in the studio. All of it is very concrete and we really have a reason for doing everything that we do in order to reduce waste and in order to provide a high quality of life for our employees. So a few examples of that are, I mean, definitely how we source fabrics. We use only natural fibers, like I mentioned earlier, no plastics. We pre-wash and pre-shrink all of our fabrics so that they won't shrink in the wash, which means that when you buy something, it's going to last a lot longer and it's a lot easier to care for. We also, when we're cutting, we save almost all of our scraps. So instead of just throwing those away, they could become maybe a pocket bag or we could do a patchwork garment. So a couple of times a season, we'll design garments that are specifically made from scraps that we can sell. And then any smaller scraps, we actually sell just as maker bundles to crafters. And we just sell those for pretty much the cost that it takes us to put them together and ship them. So that results in maybe two bags of trash a month, which is, you know, and that includes our personal waste of whatever we throw in the trash too. So yeah, we really try and keep that as minimal as possible to be as close to zero waste as we can. That's really cool. It's almost like a little challenge, right? Like how can we, how could we get it down this month? Right. I'm curious about your design process. Because when you went to school, you kind of did, like you said, sort of soup to nuts. And so it just struck me when you were talking about doing kind of the the patchwork garment, whatever that might be. Like, tell me a little bit about where you get your inspiration from, how you decide what you're going to actually make. Sure. So my design process is very inspired by our fabrics and by being low impact. But I try to have a lot of creativity within that sphere or allow myself a lot of creativity. I'll be inspired by the fabric starting off. We'll pick seasonal fabrics and they're all just so beautiful as far as the texture and the drape. And I just look at that fabric and think about 
wearable silhouettes that that fabric could become. So that's kind of the first step of the process. And we'll design maybe five to seven new pieces a season. And then we'll do some of our previous pieces and new fabrics as well. But out of those designs, we'll make samples and narrow it down based on what works and what doesn't. And then we are more spontaneous later on in the season after we've done the photo shoot. So if we have a slow week, me and the girls who I work with will get together and we'll be like, all right, we have some extra of this fabric and what can we do with that to make something cool so that we don't waste this fabric? And maybe we piece it together or we create a little crop top or something small out of the leftover panels. And we also do a lot of surface applications. So we'll do a lot of hand dyeing and block printing and painting and things like that. All right. So y'all can't see Kat because this is only audio, but if you could see her, she's got the biggest smile on her face as she's talking about this. And it's clear. It's so clear, Kat, that you love what you do. What an amazing thing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I really do. And that's really the spontaneous designing is kind of my favorite part. And we actually did that a little bit last week with this new geometry top that we made, and it was made out of extra scraps. And it was designed and made the day before we had our summer photo shoot. And I think it's actually our best selling style right now. So usually the most creative and spontaneous pieces end up being the best ones anyway. So you have this amazing story, right? Of two years in a mall brand and you figure out that's not for you. And that's pretty quick in the scheme of a life, right? (laughs) To figure out that quick that, no, I really need to be me. I need to be authentic. I need to follow my creativity. And you go to Hungary, you kind of spread your wings, you build some confidence, you come back, you launch this brand. And so there's a version of this that sounds like, wow, like a couple of hard years and you're off to the races. I would love to hear what some of the moments along the way were that felt like either, oh my gosh, that was so hard or the oh shit moments, like this can't possibly be happening or, you know, just some of those moments that seemed really hard at the time and turned out to have some incredible value in retrospect. Certainly there are ups and downs as an entrepreneur and there are small ups and downs that happen day to day. And then there are the really big ones where you question if you're even doing the right thing with your life. And I've definitely had those. So probably the biggest one was after I moved back from Hungary about six months in realizing that the tourist tees were just not going to work because that was what I had built this business around. Realizing that I had probably spent way too much money on a lot of the wrong things. So I was spending a lot of money on rent for this really nice studio. And I had bought 2000 garment tags because I thought that buying them in bulk would be a better idea, but they were really expensive. And then I ended up not liking them that much and they didn't really work for the the styles. So it was at that point where I kind of questioned if I wanted to continue because I knew that if I did continue, I was going to have to basically start a whole new business at that point. And yeah, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I ended up getting out of the lease for that studio and finding a place that had no natural light, no air conditioning or heat, but it was $400 a month. I redesigned all of our pieces. I threw away all the old designs and designed new pieces. I had to source completely new fabrics and going through that process was 
really stressful and scary, but at the end of it felt really validating because I was actually at that point making a product that people wanted to buy. Whereas before that was not really the case. So that was a big low moment for me. That was when I finally started making money. Before that, I was breaking even or losing money. And then when I moved to the really cheap studio and redesigned everything, that was when things started to turn around. So that felt really nice. What do you think the differentiator there was between the fancy studio and the high-priced tags and then the kind of like starving artist? There's something there about, you had talked earlier about really getting outside your comfort zone. Was that another example? Or do you think there was something else there that was the shift that moved you more into feeling a little bit more successful? Yeah, I think it was a different thing than getting out of my comfort zone. I think it was adopting a more gritty and scrappy mentality, perhaps. I had almost felt like being in Hungary was like my grad school and there wasn't a lot of pressure to actually earn money because it was really cheap to live there. So even if I didn't earn a lot of money, I wasn't really losing a lot of money. And when I came back to the US, it was kind of a reality check of, oh yeah, okay, this is my real job. I have to be earning a salary from this. Where do you think this stick-to-itiveness comes from or this resilience comes from? Because you're telling the story in a pretty matter of fact way, right? I like made these decisions and I was losing money and like I knew something had to change. And so I moved into a building with no heat, no light, but that's a lot of resilience and grit. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about where that comes from or if you know where that comes from. I don't really know where it comes from, but I do know that I felt at the time like that was my only option because Raleigh doesn't have any other clothing companies or designers that I could go work for. I would have actually had to move probably to LA or New York and the rents are a lot higher there. I'd end up not making a lot anyway. In a way, it kind of felt like, well, if I wanted to stay in fashion, this was my only option and I had to make it work. I could have become like an accountant or something else, you know, I I did that for a while part-time actually, but to stay in fashion, this is my only option. But what's interesting, I think about that is sometimes when people get kind of pushed to the wall and they feels like there's no other options and they will give up, they will go do something else. And they're like, well, that one didn't work out. And so just kind of further to, to Sherry's point, and it is more of an acknowledgement than a question. I really do think there's something here about your resilience and you're willing to sort of stick with this dream that you had to kind of be in this world. I mean, I was struck by the fact that you went to the design school and you kind of didn't even really know what you wanted to do with that, but you probably could have gone to state or somewhere else, right? But you had this inkling inside of you. I'm picturing you kind of with grandma sewing when you were a kid. And so to me, it feels like there were seeds planted when you were a lot younger that you're sort of seeing come to fruition now, which is a really amazing, beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that I don't really understand or know how to explain. And I'm appreciating this a lot more this year, but I do have a lot of women family members who are creative and who sewed. And I think it's kind of part of this lineage of sewers and makers that I feel like I'm following in the footsteps of. You commented that you feel really lucky you have really supportive parents. And that's definitely going to make it a little bit easier when you're not having to keep pushing back and resisting the pressure of go do something practical. And It does sound or feel, I'm not sure which one, that you were just so called to do this 
And you were really willing to heed that call. Yeah. I think I've also come to realize that a little bit more recently that it does feel like a calling to make clothing for people who otherwise would have a lot of trouble finding clothes that fit. And it does feel so rewarding to see how happy those people are when they get their garments and they fit right out of the box and they've never had that experience before. And they're just so happy and appreciative. And that's so fulfilling for for me and for our team. That's really cool. So how are you reaching people not in your local market or are you mostly a local market designer? I mean, we do have a pretty steady local group of people who will order from us, but we're mostly online on our website and I reach a lot of people through social media. We also have wholesalers who help spread the word just by carrying our product in their store. And then we end up getting orders through people who have shopped at those stores So for the most part, yeah. Tell us a little bit then about how the product, because I was sort of picturing people would come in and have a fitting or something, but tell us a little bit about if it's mostly online, how your process works. We've definitely been refining that process. And I think we have a long way to go in, in that whole process, but we have people send in their basic measurements and we do prioritize when I design things, making garments that are relatively easy fitting on a lot of different body types so that we don't run into a whole lot of problems. So we're not making super fitted garments or anything that doesn't have stretch or a little bit of give or adjustability to it. But we have people send in their bust, waist, hip, and height. And then there's a few other options that they can send in. And we'll make suggestions based on those measurements. And then if they also say, well, I really want this top to be four inches longer, then we can just do that for them. So we have conversations via email with every customer, if they want to, if, if they want to just order a standard size, they can do that too. But if they want to confirm their measurements, especially if they're placing a first order, we usually recommend that they send them in. There's no standard of fit throughout the fashion industry. So what one person might wear as an XL in one brand would be like a 2X in another brand. So yeah, we, we do like to have people send in their measurements and that just reduces exchanges and returns for us as well. So it's a benefit on both sides. Well, one thing I don't think you've said, and I don't think I said it when I was introducing you, is you make just about everything to order. We do, yes. Which is really unique. So that must mean everything's super expensive then, Yeah. We try not to keep it too expensive. Most of our pieces are, at least the made-to-order ones, are in between 116 and about 250 And we don't charge anything additional for the customizations. So I would say it's a pretty good price point for something that's made-to-order. And we also factor wholesale into that. So we have to make sure that we still make a profit when we're selling items in wholesale. But everything is made-to-order, which also is great for zero waste because we're not making... 30 garments in a size large and only sell 15. And then we don't know what to do with the other 15. You know, we're making just what we need. And that means we don't have any leftover at the end of every season. You know, there's a a piece in hearing you talk about this, that yes, it's a fashion brand, but it just feels like it has so much more of an equity and inclusion piece to it. Like you made the comment that you just think it's so unfair with the average size in the U.S. that most stores don't carry it. And that's just not fair. And you've said that a few times, right? It just doesn't seem fair to you. And so it really does sound like there is this mission around almost righting a wrong. Yeah, it is. And it feels like once I've met a lot of these people who are looking for 
clothes and have trouble finding them, it's a very personal thing. One of our employees is a size 3X usually. And I asked her one time, like, oh, where do you usually go shopping in person? And she said, I don't go shopping in person because no stores will carry a 3X. Target and Old Navy and some athletic brands will carry up to that size, but you can't assume that you could just walk into a boutique and they would have a size 3X. There are hardly any stores in the US that offer that size range. So just knowing that was so upsetting to me. And I didn't even know about it until recently, which is kind of crazy. So Kat, you've built a business, you are making custom clothing for people, you have employees, you're relatively young. I'm curious, what are the things that help keep you grounded? You've got a lot going on. So I'm wondering if there's any practices or anything that you engage with that sort of helps to kind of keep you going. Yeah. So when I started this business, it was my whole life. You know, I was living it, eating it, breathing it all the time. And I've realized more recently that I need to take a little bit of a step back. And especially since now I have such good employees that I can rely on, I'm able to do that. So I've always really been into yoga as a great practice to keep me grounded I have a wonderful husband who is always very supportive of me and tells me to relax and take breaks. And I just got a little Sheltie puppy three or four months ago, and she's just been such a joy and I get to bring her to work. So we'll take little breaks throughout the day and go on walks. And that's also been great. Now that I have her, I've got to go for three walks a day because she's so energetic. So exercise is really helpful too. And then I travel when I can, which hasn't been as often over the past couple of years, but that's also a great way to escape, even if it's traveling two hours away. And what do you see is next for you and the company? You know, that's hard for me to think about because a lot of it does revolve around what happens in my personal life as well, as far as family plans. I've always, one of my reasons that I wanted to own a business was if I ever have kids that way, I don't have to quit my job or feel like I have to choose one over the other. So I would love to be able to have that flexibility in my work. And right now we're doing really well. We're continuing to grow every year. And I would just hope that we are able to continue on that trajectory. I don't plan on making a lot more hires. I would rather find ethical production facilities to outsource to just because the weight of having 30 employees and trying to find a space that would house that volume of production seems like a bit much for me personally. So right now I'm pretty happy where we are. That's great. And finding different ways of doing things as opposed to just sort of more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said as far as things that we can look into to perfect our fit process I think that there's a lot of technology that's being developed now that might allow us to create a better fit digitally rather than having people need to come in in person. That's so much of an easier process in person, but I I think there will become a time where we can do that virtually and have it be pretty much the same process. So, you know, there's definitely options there. And I think the further we get along, the more we might be able to invest in that. What year did you launch In the U.S., we launched in 2016. So you're six years in, and it sounds like you have a really good sense of how you want to coexist with your business, if you will. And that's a pretty awesome and amazing thing to know after just six years. I know it doesn't feel like just six years, but knowing what you know now, I'm thinking about 
little cat sewing with your family lineage of women sewers. If you could go back and whisper some words of wisdom in her ear, what would you say to her? Well, looking back, it seems like I spent a lot of time worrying and I wish that I had spent more time enjoying the process and living in the moment. So I would probably tell little cat to trust herself and her intuition and her design abilities and to not worry about the money not coming in because it, it always did. And it always does. I'll still continue to freak out when we have a slow time and think, what are we going to do if this continues this way for another three months? But it always picks back up. And I always figure out a way to make it happen because a lot of it is in my hands. So yeah, I think that's what I would tell myself. You know what? I'm, I'm picturing Kat on like a little surfboard, right? So you're sort of riding, riding those waves of... That's, yeah, that is how it feels. You just kind of have to let go, I think, at some point and enjoy the ride and, and also not be as afraid of failure because there are going to be times where you fail and maybe things won't work out at some point. And that's just how it's meant to be. Yeah. And you've been there before, right? When things weren't working out the way you you thought they would. So Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been great. I always love talking to people about my journey and creativity and all of this stuff. So it's been really fun. Well, we have been thrilled to have you. And that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or post it to your own social media. It really helps us get the word out. You can find info and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.